Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. And a couple things before we get into the message. If you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this will be a little more difficult for you. But JD mentioned that next Sunday is 4th of July, and we are going to be having a picnic. That is going to involve a fish fry. Um, some people will not be excited about that. Some are really excited about it. Uh, we'll also have hot dogs and hamburgers. You guys just bring a side or bring a dessert big enough for your family and maybe like one other person. Um, but Ronnie Henry is actually going to be doing the fish fry and the cooking for us. And if you do not know Ronnie, Ronnie is really good at that. Um, he asked me earlier this week, he's like, how many people you think are going to be coming? And I have to do it kind of in Ronnie's voice because it's just in my head. Um, so we're going to do a really scientific thing. If you are planning and would like to come next Sunday, 5 to 7, parking lot, lots of fun, food, will you just raise your hand real quick? I'll be there. Um, okay, kind of gives me an idea. I know people have other 4th of July plans and everything, but that will give me an opportunity to tell him this is how many we can expect. Um, second thing I wanted to do is just thank our band. Uh, this morning we kind of had to have some moving parts, and I'm just really, really thankful for their flexibility. Um, there's a saying, bless are the flexible, they are not easily broken. And our band just did a knockout job. Okay, I think that's everything, so we can get going. Um, we are going through what we call summer school this summer. Sometimes there's some areas within Christianity, within our faith, that we say, hey, it would be good to grow a little bit more in that, or maybe I can learn a little bit more about that. And I'm pretty excited about today. Today's might be, it may be my favorite one. Because today we're just going to talk about the gospel. The gospel is something that we proclaim every single week at South Point. The gospel is something that we say, hey, as a church, we want to be committed to the gospel. It's one of our core values. It's important to us. But at times, the gospel, and, and really we could do basically every message from here on out about the gospel. But today I'm going to try and condense it down to one Sunday. Because the gospel is something that we do know, but we can always go deeper in it. The gospel, in the Greek word, it's euangelion. The good news is what it means. Over 70 times in the New Testament, the word gospel is used. I love that Paul uses it like three times more than anyone else. Because Paul understood the good news. Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. Paul was a guy who he thought he knew God, and he thought he was worshiping God by killing off Christianity and one day as he's on his way to a town to separate Christians from their families and to kill and murder them, Jesus shows up. Man, Paul falls deeply in love with Jesus. He understood that the gospel is the good news. But if you've ever had somebody walk up to you and say, hey, I got good news and bad news, which do you want first? I said it in the first service. I almost was going to let you guys answer that question, but it would really change up a lot of the slides and it would be really hard for our tech team. So I get to decide that because I have the microphone. Good news and bad news. With the good news, sometimes there is bad news. Sometimes it's kind of funny. Like just Googling that this week, I found this on one website and some good news, bad news. The bad news is that I have no way to tell you how my double thumb amputation went. The good news, it went great. These are really bad, too, like dad joke level. The bad news is that you've crashed on a desert island, or dessert island. The good news is that your three favorite books, movies, and albums of all time have got to be around here somewhere. And that's kind of true. Like after traveling last week, I packed my favorite movie and book. The bad news is that last night was the puppy rapture. The good news is that all the telephone poles and bulletin boards in town are currently so cute we've forgotten about it. Oh, oh, he's thinking. And the bad news is that you had a dream, you were giving a speech, and realized halfway through you weren't wearing any pants. The good news is the speech was to accept the award for never wearing pants guy. 
Bad news and good news in its cheesiest of forms. <laughs> the gospel is the good news. But to get to the good news, I, I got to walk through a little bit of bad news. The good thing is it gets better. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit in the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. You probably heard me say, Genesis chapter 3 is a, one of the darkest moments in all of human history. For two chapters, you have absolute perfection. You've heard me use the word shalom. All is as it should be. God creates everything. He creates man and places him in the garden. He sees that it's not good for man to be alone, and so he creates Eve. Everything is done with perfection. And I love that in Genesis 1 and 2, you even get to see, like, there's purpose. Like, mankind was given a purpose. It wasn't just this random, chaotic thing. It was purpose. He placed them there and said, I want you to rule over this garden. You have dominion over it. Start naming the animals. Name them whatever you want. Aardvark. Why aardvark? I don't know, but that's what he went with. They had a purpose. And I know that they also worshipped. It may not look like what we have on Sunday morning. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Adam and Eve wrote the first songs, hymns, whatever you want to call them. But they knew that there's a creator. And we walk in absolute perfection with this creator. We're not worried about anything. We want for nothing. We know that he loves us. We know that he interacts with us. We know that he's given us purpose. And we worship him. And it's beautiful. And then Genesis chapter 3 happens. See, Adam and Eve got to experience some things that you and I do not. One morning, Adam and Eve woke up walking in absolute perfection with God. They went to bed that night. I don't think they slept. Understanding what separation and sin are. Like, we know what that feels like. We know when we do something wrong and there's that, that sense of guilt or maybe we got caught and there's that. We know what that feels like. Adam and Eve didn't that morning. They woke up. It was perfection, so it was beautiful. It was the garden that God had made. And then they got to experience something different. I've mentioned before there was a guy named Augustine who lived a long time ago. Um, kind of a church father, extremely intelligent and he defined four stages of mankind. And Adam and Eve experienced all of them. And I also thought it'd be fun to maybe learn a little bit of Latin this morning, because who doesn't need that? The first stage that he talks about is known as passe peccare, passe non peccare. What that means is able to sin, able not to sin. We know that Adam and Eve could have sinned, but for the longest time, we don't, I say the longest time, we don't know how long. They didn't want to. 
Their desire was God. Their desire was his worship. Their desire was his glory. But then sin got introduced, and they fell, and it just became part of us. See, sin puts us in rebellion to God. You have a perfect, holy, just God who creates everything. Everything he does is absolute perfection. And when sin enters into that, they bang up against each other, and we're just not like him anymore. You've got this God who's perfect, and you've got sin separating us from him. And it just becomes part of our DNA, right? You've, I've made the joke a lot of times. You, you don't have to teach people to sin. Go hang out in the nursery or kids' area for a little bit. They'll do stuff, and you're like, I didn't teach you that. It's just part of our DNA, and it separates us. And so now, the second stage is non passe, non picari. Not able not to sin. It's just who we are. We do things we know they're wrong. We try not to, we do them even more. We know that there are things in our life that get us. And we know that sin has a price. Scripture would say the wages of sin, the price of sin is death. That separates us from this perfect and holy God. And here's what happens. If the Bible ended right there, God would still be God. Sin didn't change him at all. He's still perfect. He's still just. He's still holy. If it ended right there, we would get the price of that, death. The good thing is, it doesn't end there. There's a lot more to the Bible. <laughs> when people ask me at times, like, hey, what's, where do I go to really see the gospel? Um, the Bible. Like, you can find it all over the place. Um, but one spot in particular is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I feel like, boils it down and presents the whole gospel to us. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start to see some good news, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, and I love this, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee for our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I remember when I first started to read scripture for myself. What I mean by that is it wasn't, hey, I'm being told to do it. I had a desire to do it. I'd had a Bible for a long time. Did a great job of keeping dust from getting underneath it. Had picture ones, had ones with devotionals. And I'll never forget when I first started reading scripture for myself. It was a bigger 
blue Zondervan student Bible. Now, I'll never forget that one because, one, I started reading it for myself. Selfishly, I'll also never forget it because it did have devotionals in it. It had a devotional for Psalm 110. In that devotional, it gave the story of the 12th man from A&M, so I told everyone we were the predestined college. Um, Man, I marked that thing up all over the place. One of the first books I sat down and read was Ephesians. That's why it was one of the first things I wanted to teach when I got to South Point. Dramatically changed my life. I lost that Bible. It was somewhere on a bus after a youth camp because people forget things, and I pray that someone found it and is able to use it. But I remember reading Ephesians 1 for the first time and seeing, man, this lines out the gospel, the whole gospel. Because there's some things that we learn from just that one half chapter. First one's this. The gospel is a divine plan. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I told you a couple weeks ago, before the foundation of the world is one of my favorite terms in scripture. This is my second favorite one. My favorite one's in Revelation. I'll get to that at some point. But I love this because what this tells us is it is a divine plan. The gospel is not plan B. Whenever mankind sinned, that didn't come as a shock to God. It didn't surprise him. They didn't have to get together and huddle up and go, okay, what are we going to do? Somebody's got to die, draw straws. Oh, it's Jesus. No, it wasn't that. Before the foundation of the world, the gospel existed. Before the light that you see in this room was here, the gospel existed. Before the air that you breathe right now existed, the gospel was there. Before the people that you love, before the people that you maybe helped create, before any molecule existed in the universe, the gospel was already there. It was an organized plan. See, the Old Testament shows us this over and over and over again. The Old Testament shows us we are in need of a Savior because we can't do it on our own. The Ten Commandments, the most basic aspect of human morality, and we break every one of them. Don't lie. Well, we fall into that. Don't covet. Don't murder. Well, I haven't done that one. I, Jesus said you did. <laughs> Jesus changed that one up in the New Testament. He said, hey, if you've ever had anger in your heart towards someone, it's the same as murder. Well, dadgum. I mean, the most basic aspect of morality. And we fail at it over and over and over again. The Old Testament shows us there is a definite need for a Savior. The Old Testament shows us that the Savior was coming. I mean, Genesis 3 is a really dark chapter, but I love in it you get the first gospel. God goes to dole out the punishment and gets to the serpent and says, hey, uh, her offspring, you'll, you'll bruise his heel. He's going to crush your head. It was talking about Jesus. You read through Isaiah and you get these pictures of the, hey, the Messiah is coming. All these prophetic things. The Old Testament is just one big plan that the gospel is happening. And Jesus already existed. I love Genesis 1:27. Let us make mankind in our image. That is not a schizophrenic statement. (laughs) That was not God being confused. That was God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit saying, let us make mankind in our image. Jesus has always been. 
It's this unbelievable divine plan. And it was a plan, one, for our salvation. That's the good benefit out of this, right? Like we're separated from God and a way is made possible to get back to him. To be able to stand before him one day in heaven and say, I am justified only through Jesus Christ. Our salvation is a wonderful part of this thing. But it's also for his glory. Him bringing us back in, him bringing everything back into how it should be is all part of his glorious plan. This plan is absolutely divine. The gospel is also a divine achievement. Look in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight. So what's achieved? One, our redemption. Again, this is a wonderful part of the story. That myself, in the year 2021, as a broken human being, have been given the opportunity to be redeemed, to be brought back into his family, to be adopted as a son and a daughter of the creator of the universe. What's achieved? Our redemption. What's also achieved? His will. God wasn't surprised in the garden. He already knew every single thing that would play out. He knew the lives that would exist in the year 842. I don't. He knew the lives that it would exist in the year 2021. He would know our stories. He would know our pain. He would know the things that we were struggling with. And the gospel made a way for you and I to experience love and forgiveness, to turn away from our old self, and to walk and follow him. And that will is the whole gospel. There's a pastor in the Metroplex. His name's Matt Chandler. Um, I think he's pretty good. I chased him down at a conference once and got a picture with him. I think my wife said I'm smiling bigger in that picture than our wedding photos. Um, He wrote a book called The Explicit Gospel. I would recommend reading it. Um, In it, he talks about the gospel in two different ways. What he describes is the gospel on the ground and the gospel in the air. The whole gospel. See, the gospel isn't just simply about our salvation. It's about all things coming back. That's why in verse 10 he says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The gospel on the ground is our salvation. The gospel on the ground is you and I having the opportunity to come to Christ in faith and follow him. That's the gospel on the ground. We like that part, but the gospel is also bigger. What he describes as the gospel in the air is one day he's going to unite all things in heaven and on earth back to shalom. One day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. This is going to be a huge achievement because one day all the things that we struggle with will be no more. Sin won't be here. Pain won't be here. Sickness won't be here calamity, things like that, won't exist. Everything, everything in the universe will be returned back to all as as it should be. That's the power of the gospel, to unite everything back to glorifying him. And then the gospel is a free gift. The gospel is an invitation from Jesus Christ. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. And that's all of us. Come to me, the person that's struggling with this. Come to me, the person that's hurting from that. 
you'll find that my load is easy. It's an invitation for faith. It's an offer to have faith given to believe. If you have a Bible open and you just skip forward a little bit to chapter 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. By grace you've been saved. That, that part gets quoted a lot, and it's very important. But that next line, and this is not your own doing. And anything that you can do to fix yourself. We live in a world where we really kind of tout that a lot, right? There's a ton of self-help books out there. And when self-help kind of got to be, oh, we don't want to say that, we just call it leadership now. Lots of leadership books now. Um, it's really the same thing. When you do all that, and there's times where, yeah, we can do things that improve us a little bit. There's times where we go, you know what, I need to eat more kale. <laughs> and so I'm going to do some push-ups, do that sort of thing. We improve in temporary ways. We don't improve in eternal ways. But then Jesus. Jesus comes. And it becomes a free gift. Gives people the faith to believe in the first place. Gives someone faith who maybe moments before said, I want nothing to do with God. Gives faith to someone who said, I am so far gone, how could he ever, ever want me? And that faith is given. And in that faith, we believe. And Christ offers this as an absolute free gift to the world. But it's only through him. Only through him. When a person says, hey, I want to turn away from my old life. I can't fix myself. I can't do it on my own. And says, I want to turn away from that, but I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want to be a follower of Christ. Scripture would say in that moment, you're made into a new creation. But we have to arrive at that point where we say, hey, I don't want this anymore. I understand that the gospel is this beautiful, beautiful gift. And once we have that, once we have that gift, the gospel is enjoying God. It's enjoying God. So many times people forget that, you know what? We should enjoy our relationship with God. This is not the old school, like Quaker, Puritan, everybody head down, everybody looks sad. No, we should enjoy him richly. That means in everything that we do, if I have the gospel, if the gospel has invaded my life, if I'm a follower of Christ, everything should be enriched. And so if I sit down, you sit down to your favorite meal, whatever it is, mine's going to have meat. I like when multiple animals have to give their life for dinner. But you sit down to that, the gospel should make it even better. Understand, man, this is a blessing from God. Whenever you look around at your family and you realize, that, man, hey, my children are a gift from God, and I am to pour into them and point them back towards him, we should enjoy him. Because one day we will enjoy him forever. One day we're going to find ourselves in eternity. And we are going to enjoy God in ways that we can't even fathom right now. 
Like, heaven is going to be better than whatever you think it is. So many times, and I've, I've heard it at funerals, you've probably heard it, maybe you've said it before, but I'll say this, like, heaven is going to be better than your best game of golf. I mean, really, the best, 18, you get 18 hole in one, and that's it. Like, if that's eternity, that kind of gets old, right? You're doing the same thing over and over again, it's going to be so much better than that. There are creatures in heaven that surround God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't know if they say anything else, but just saying that never gets old to them. That's my idea of heaven. It's going to be way better than whatever hobby I have. It's going to be known as I am fully known and walking with God and enjoying him for all eternity. So yeah, we're called to enjoy God. Why were you forgiven? So your guilt won't get in the way of enjoying God. We know that guilt tends to look like Genesis chapter 3. What happens when Adam and Eve sin? They don't run to God. They run away from him. They realize that, hey, there's some shame going on here. And they, they run and they try and hide from a God who created the universe. He's really good at hide and seek. <laughs> and I love that he comes to them. And it was a rhetorical question, where are you? He knew where they were. But they had run from him. That's what guilt does to us. So when when we know that our guilt is forgiven, the past, present, and the future, it makes us enjoy God more. It makes running to him a whole lot easier. Because the moment that someone accepts Christ, yes, we find forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. So you got to that point and you became a believer, became a Christian, a follower of Christ. All the sin that you'd committed, and it's not hard to think of them, that was forgiven. And the sins that you were going to commit that day were forgiven. 20 years from now, you're going to do something sinful if Jesus hasn't come back. You'll be walking through your house, bang your toe on something, words come out. It's forgiven if you're in Christ. That's the magnitude of the gospel. The things that you don't even know you're capable of right now, if you're in Christ, have been forgiven. And so it makes enjoying him a lot better. It makes enjoying him in every single thing that we do that much better. The gospel is the good news. The story could have ended with the bad. Praise God it did not. Praise God that a way has been made for you and I to experience salvation. And it's my prayer that we would be so enthralled with that. We would be so enriched by it. It would be such a glorious thing to us that we would want to make it known across the world. You got neighbors, you got friends, you got family. They don't know the good news. We get the opportunity to share that. We get the opportunity to live that. We get the opportunity to reach out. If you know what the gospel has done in your life, why would we not want to share that with others? Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for love, grace. If there's anyone that's here today, whether in person or online, 
And that's never been something that's been personal to you. Like you're hearing this story of the gospel, the good news, and you go, man, I've, that's, I've been the person trying to make myself better. And it's just not working. That's why we have the gospel. That Christ came and laid down his life so that you and I could experience forgiveness and one day bring everything back into perfection. And if you've never made that personal before, if you have never said, yes, I, I want Jesus, you can do that today. And say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to leave behind my old life. I want to be a follower of Christ and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. That's the good news. And if you did that today, I would encourage you, put that on a Connect card. Come talk to me after service. We want to celebrate that. We want to talk about how we can enjoy that together. God, let the gospel drive everything that we do. Let it drive our decisions at work. Let it drive our decisions at home. Let us be a people unashamed to tell someone the story of the gospel. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.